Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. This is Indeed Talk the Talk. I'm Bill Newman. And I am Buzz Eisenberg. And we hope to be joined in just a few moments by the mayor of East Hampton, Nicole Achapelle, because this is Mayor's Monday on Talk the Talk. And we have a few few things still to ask about the ongoing saga of the school committee and the hiring of superintendent in East Hampton and what will happen in the future and, well, what will happen right now with regard to the hiring of an interim superintendent. Lots to ask the mayor about. And I think in fairness to all concerned, we'll talk about some other things happening in East Hampton as well. The the kids at the high school have done a fabulous job in winning a national uh, regional award, state award, and coming in very high placement in the national competition as well. It's not a debating team, Buzz, it's, but it is a discussion of contemporary events and a team put together for that purpose. And not just contemporary, uh, constitutional law and jurisprudence. It's, it's amazing that they, their level of knowledge in high school. I think, you know, I remember law school. They are really on par with law students at times. Yeah, they were here answering questions in the studio and they knew way more about certain parts of the Constitution than I did. That's just <laughs> simply the reality of the situation. So we are joined, in fact, by the mayor, Mayor Nicole LaChapelle. Thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Uh, we were talking about the students at the high school who had done so very well in this uh, state competition and national competition. What's it called, Buzz? You remember? We the people. We the people. And boy, did they blow us away in the studio. So Let's start yeah. with a very positive note. On a very positive note, the kids in the the students at the East Hampton High School they, they blew us away, and they really blew away the judges as well. So, your thoughts about that? Well, I mean, I think if uh, any of the last six teams had joined you in the studio, um, you would have felt the same way. Uh, the East Hampton High School We the People team just really has. I mean, you'd say a formula, but. Continual hard work. Um, I, their advisor, Kelly Brown, is a rock star. Uh, but also, if you go in and practice, you know, they, they ask for people to be practice judges, as we all know. Um, kids from prior years come back, make a point to come back to talk with that year's team through what judges may be looking for, um, the points about the 14th Amendment. Excuse me, unit by unit. So, <clears throat> I mean, you think about our team from East Hampton winning the states uh, so many times in a row, and then they go to nationals, and they're placing in the top 15, the different units. I mean, it's not as if, you know, the nationals is just a, a high-level practice for them. I mean, they are competing um, and doing well year after year after year. And three, year, three years ago, they won the national competition. I think it was three years ago, wasn't it, Mayor? Um, they won. Um, it was online. So I think it was the, maybe the first or second online. And yeah, a couple of their units, it's broken into three units. But uh, I mean, it's, you think about the whole, the whole country, and here's East Hampton High with 500 students just, you know, getting it done year I, after year. What I want to say is, is it is obviously the knowledge of their constitution and, and democracy, their level of inquiry is just Bill's right, blows us away. But I think Mm -hmm. what gets lost in in this, what Kelly Brown has done as as an instructor is giving them so much confidence that they can achieve, that they are learners. They are so Mm self-confident. They so trust each other. It's education at its finest. It it really is. And the skills imparted, I mean, maybe the 
the secret of of this whole process is these kids leave the the program. Um, East Hampton High School, you talk to alums from this program or talk to students kind of outside the practice, and you see the thinking. You see them scaffolding through really difficult concepts, nothing to do with the Constitution, and kind of putting it into a framework to get as much as they can out of the information and the knowledge they have on a subject. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's something that always, you know, makes, I'm smiling ear to ear now. Me too. You've got a very, yeah, just, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for the students. Um, and Kelly, I mean, every year she is the same level of intensity, um, really thinking about the, each unit, how to differently approach it, as are some of the, you know, they have judges who come back year after year and the same way, I think uh, the judges and Kelly think about those units of the Constitution um, year-round to, to get ready for, you know, the final structure of practice. One comment uh, with regard to the com- competition and the competitive nature mm-hmm. of, of We the People as a national program, the East Hampton High School is competing against high schools with Many, 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 many times as many students. Oh, yeah. They are mm-hmm. also competing about with some of the finest private schools, what are now called independent schools, in the country. I mean, to place in the top of mm-hmm. that competitive, <laughs> that competition is really a remarkable, remar- remarkable achievement. So can't say enough for the students, the teachers, and the yeah. students. Really, congratulations. Uh and Mayor Nicole Chappelle on this Mayor's Monday on our show. Well, I don't mean to draw comparisons, but at least you don't have this going on in East Hampton, the top of the fold on the East Ham- on the Daily Hampshire Gazette, Dateline Amherst, confidence, no confidence in Morris. Members also call on assistant superintendent to resign at end of controversial week. We will go into this story later on in the program. That having been said, don't mean to look at other communities' problems as a uh, benchmark to say, well, things could be worse in East Hampton, but they could be. And it seems like maybe things are getting a bit back to normal in East Hampton after the school superintendent search. I would appreciate it if you would tell us where things stand with regard to the hiring of an interim superintendent, what that process will be, when will it come to fruition, and then what is going to happen with regard to the search for a permanent superintendent. So, Bring us up to date, if you would, please, Mayor. Sure. So this week we'll we'll be interviewing and having meet and greets with four um, interim superintendent candidates who expressed interest in wanting to fill the position for a year. Uh, those will happen at uh, East Hampton High School, and and we'll have also public meetings, um, so folks can chime in in person, but also um, online. Uh, the four candidates are strong um, unto their own. All is a little different with the background, um, but all have what I thought some parallels to East Hampton and some strengths that they that we really need some some help with in East Hampton. Um, so I I'm excited to see such four strong candidates. Um, we're really looking for a superintendent who has that experience and can steer the ship. And uh, make the, um, you know, just basic changes to have a great uh, fall for our kids and walking in um, while the full time search will um, late fall, uh, early 2024 is when we'll go into a search for a permanent superintendent. 
I was surprised uh, to learn, uh, delighted, but surprised to learn that there is an organization that apparently has available potential candidates to fill in as interim superintendents, what, the Massachusetts Association of School Superintendents? Is that yep. right? Um, and, no, of, of school committees. School, school committees. committees, right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and there they are. You call, you write, you email and say, we're looking for an interim superintendent. Here's the requirements. Here's the job description. And that organization responded? Yes, and we're members of that organization, uh, the school committee is. Uh, so it's like the trade association for school committees. Um, they are an amazing tool, not just like for trainings for if you're on the school committee, trainings of changes in the law, um, looking at policies. Um, you know, if you wanted, we retained them four years ago to do the actual search for the superintendent when we hired Dr. LeClaire. Uh, really just a, a great resource for school committee members to check in and, and see what's going on with policy, how to handle different things, but also uh, keeping list of uh, superintendents who are, are uh, willing to be interims and they kind of go through the process with that list and say, okay, this is what you know, East Hampton is looking for, who's interested, and then people respond to that. So that certainly made the interim process um, you know, much easier. I am sure that you would like this episode of the search for a school superintendent to be in the rearview mirror, but there is not a guarantee, Mayor LaChapelle, that it necessarily is. One thing that could happen is that uh, Dr. Vito Perone could apply for the permanent position again. The other Mm -hmm. is he has a lawyer who's been on this show, uh, didn't give us a lot of information, but didn't rule out suing East Hampton either. Do you think that the matter with regard to Dr. Perone is over or there are more chapters still to be written? I think that's up to Dr. Perron. <laughs> Good well, question, Bill. Yeah, direct and yeah. to the point answer. Okay. Yeah. Um, do, well, let me ask one, at least one or more, two more questions about that. Are there uh, lessons here, and in particular lessons here with regard to the vetting process? So, I mean, that's a great – I mean, I'm still asking myself that question. It's a question where – we're asking ourselves and kind of talking a little bit about is what is the vetting process for this? Like we followed the exact same vetting process we did with Dr. LeClaire. Um, and, you know, checking, making, checking on the resume, getting references, um, making sure she was certified with, you know, the proper entities. Um, Does it include it? Let me interrupt. Does it include minimally uh, a search of online uh, websites to see what might be out there? Um, not officially, no. It doesn't. And, and we go back and forth about, you know, okay, so we're going to do a search and we're going to look, you know, say a social media or just all just Google, right? Um, and when are, you know, you entering the murky world of, uh, you know, just somebody really organized online? really, you know, mess with somebody's character or something they didn't like on purpose. And, and then you're hunting down fake or, or planted information. And it, it was really a back and forth. I mean, I do not have the answer. And Massachusetts Association of School Committees is also like, you know, what is, what is the practice of vetting now for, 
you know, superintendents or business managers or, you know, whatnot. I think it happens a lot more. It happens automatically when you run for public office. But for these high profile pressure jobs, what is, you know, what is the the best practice? And, you know, when do you tiptoe over that line to, I don't know, kind of like stalker on social media? I I don't know. I'll I'll take suggestions (laughs) from anybody on that. But it's definitely something we're thinking about. It's not going to leave our, our minds for you know, some time because we have a search underway now for interim, and then we have a search um, you know, coming up in the winter. It seems to me that if students could find this out, this inf- information out about a prospective yeah. superintendent, that certainly the school committee should have known about it. I, I, I understand this uh, issue of... Uh, uh, electronic stalking, I think, although I think yeah, that's sure. a bit hyperbolic. But that said, if the students could find this without apparently a lot of trouble, shouldn't the school committee know about it? Yes, but, you know, again, I mean, I don't know about, you know, I'll, we can do a show on what is cyber stalking and what is not and what you can actually get on somebody's Facebook. And unfortunately, a city of East Hampton has, has had that dubious pleasure to have to go down that a couple of times. So at this point, whether, I mean, as soon as we got, I got the email from the kids. The first thing this I This was in regard to the second superintendent we shouldn't, candidate we should know. Oh, yeah. Um, I, you know, contacted the police and our cyber unit. To, to chase down the links, to chase down the source, not of the kid, but, um, but of, of the links and, and whatnot and, and uh, Facebook profiles. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't like, oh, my, I mean, it was, oh, my gosh, but, I mean, it, it took us a day to really verify that it wasn't something that was, you know, a fraud. And, you know, I, I guess, you know, I would say, also, East Hampton's not the only one with the problem. I mean, if we found out about it the way we did, like, and you're saying that a school committee should know about it, what about the school committee she works for? Right. Yeah. I mean, this is complicated. I mean, again, are, I'm yeah, sorry. like, what, what do you do? Do you search? Do you do a forensic search on, on your employees what, once a day, once a week, once a month? Um, I don't, and I'm not trying to goad anybody. I really, I would love a protocol that's not invasive, um, you know, or do you say to everybody in the community, hey, we can't do this, so um, why don't you, you know, I don't know, do it for us or whatnot. We certainly don't want that. Well, may- maybe, um, I have a suggestion, maybe for a start, yeah. all of the candidates are asked, mm-hmm. do you have a social media site? What is it? Have you posted? Give us a link. That would be a good mm-hmm. start. Um, so yes, and and I think that that's a part of it. Um, and for a hundred dollars, you can pay somebody to scrub your site. Mm, okay. I mean, and I will if you ask any parent who is hyper um, competitive to get into a college, that's what happens. I mean. Oh, because the colleges the, the colleges ask sure, for that or search it. Or, yeah, or or they they do it or job. You know, um, you're looking, you know, for a potential employee. You scrub your site. Well. You delete it for 30 days, and then it doesn't come up in a search. And then if you get the job or not or into the college, you you reconnect. 
within 30 days, and it's all back. Wow. We are speaking with the mayor of East Hampton, Nicola Chappelle. This is Mayor's Monday on Talk the Talk. We'll be right back more with the mayor right after this. Don't know much about history. Don't know much biology. Don't know much about a science book. Don't know much about the French I took. But I do know that I love you. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. Go out to eat, save 30%. Get a guitar or take lessons, save 30%. Pork chops, rug cleaning, hypnotherapy, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. Oh, the places you'll go. This Dr. Seuss book might be the quintessential graduation gift. Broadside has it, plus other books for grads. Like What Now by Ann Patchett, Navigate Your Stars by Jesmyn Ward. Toni Morrison's The Source of Self-Regard, Selected Essays, Speeches, and Meditations. Browse Broadside Bookshop for inspiring books for graduates. How about Devotions, The Selected Poems of Mary Oliver. How about Rough Sleepers by Tracy Kidder. Or Cheryl Strayed's Tiny Beautiful Things. Browse Broadside, buy a book for a grad. Some people know how to prepare seafood. Seafood's delicate. You don't want a heavy hand. Some people have the touch. Some of those people are in the kitchen at Paul and Elizabeth's Restaurant, where there's a 40-year tradition of preparing seafood, wisdom passed along through the years. That's why when you have fish and chips at Paul and Elizabeth's, or Faroe Island salmon, or tempura shrimp with that light and lively orange ginger sauce, it's perfect every time. Fresh seafood, Paul and Elizabeth's, inside Thorns in downtown Northampton. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We continue on this Mayor's Monday, our conversation with the mayor of East Hampton, Nicole LaChapelle. We were speaking with the mayor during the break, and Buzz, you had a question for the mayor, so perhaps you'd like to bring in our listeners and repose the question. I would, and last week we asked this question of City Council President uh, Omar Gomez, and Mayor Uh uh, Nicole LaChapelle, I can't really shake this question. If there's a four to three split vote by a school committee, for example, Uh on something as important as hiring a school superintendent, can you with confidence offer that position knowing that, what, uh, 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 that, well, three-sevenths disagree with the choice? Uh, uh, What do you think? Sure. I mean, the rule is changeable, and it's, it's the public will through representative democracy. Um, I think that that's more than fine. Let me and we see those things throughout government. Um, it's, you know, we're elected to make these huge decisions with um, really deep impacts, and people take it very seriously. They did in East Hampton. I know that they will continue to. And if it's a split vote, so be it. I mean, 
a superintendent candidate or a vote like this, um, it's not consensus. And I, I don't know how I would have changed my vote, vote without really – and I, do, I voted first for Dr. Perum without kind of putting a chink in my values. Well, let me ask this. The, the mm-hmm. four to three vote, which I viewed as being, well, less than an endorsement, wasn't necessarily that. I don't want to ask this about uh, Dr. Vito Perone specifically, but it seems to me a four to three vote could be, could be, we have two fabulous, terrific candidates and four yeah. wanted candidate A and three wanted candidate B. And so it's four okay. to three. So what? I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily indicate a division or opposition to the first candidate. <laughs> well, what I'm wondering I is whether the, the search could continue because if in a representative democracy, they really represent their their constituents, that means that there's a whole lot of parents who might not be satisfied with the, the offer. But it may be that a whole lot of satisfied were, were in fact satisfied with the offer, exactly for the reason I said, which is candidate two was terrific. They are, we're, we're split one to one. What are you going to yeah. do about this? Well, I'm just saying it doesn't. Well, I, I mean, I would just say weigh in on this. And, and I think overall split vote is fine regardless. But again, let's go back to social media. I got emails and calls and to the point where some parents and kids talked to me in public, like getting ice cream, that they had a preference in candidate and they did not want to get on Facebook and they did not want to write an email because they saw what happened to people who did not agree with their choice. So when you're talking about that vote, I feel, in fact, the candidates were both strong at that point. And there were people who were definitely not okay with the choice, and there are other people who were just fine. Um, so I, you know, I, I don't know if I would say that before social media, but I mean, imagine you're a parent, an adult, and you'd like to express support at a public meeting or in the email to your mayor, and you don't. In fact, you wait till you see her in person getting ice cream to say, this is the candidate I prefer, but I am, I'm not writing a letter of support. I'm not going to a public meeting because I've seen what they've done to other people on Facebook they, mm-hmm. you know, who don't agree with them. Right. I mean, and, that's chilling to me. And anything that you say to the mayor while you're buying ice cream at the fabulous ice cream shop mm-hmm. in East Hampton, yes. uh, mm-hmm. that probably overwhelmingly the odds are that that's a private conversation. But if you send the mayor or any elected official, an email or a letter, right. then it's a public yeah. record. Absolutely. And, and we treat it as such. You know, I, we get those emails, and, I mean, we've, we've got a, our, our freedom of information requests have been overwhelming. They're starting to slow down a little bit. I'm sure they'll pick up again. Um, and those emails go. I mean, it's, you know, it's a public conversation when it's an email. Like our voicemails, a lot of our voicemails – they go, you call, you leave a voicemail, it goes to an email, and we get emails, so we can store those emails. We can store those voice messages. I mean, it's, um, it's they're, they're all public. Okay, while we're on the question of public, I do have a, one last question about this, and that is the status of the open meeting law violation complaint. Where does that stands, stand? Um, so right now we, we've um, answered the We've replied to the complaint to the complainant and to the attorney general. Right now, I don't know if we've gotten an answer from the attorney general. Uh, the committee itself did not feel that we broke open meeting law. 
But out of precaution on the first public meeting, we took another vote if we wanted to open uh, negotiations again with Dr. Perone, and that was negative overwhelmingly. And this was a complaint that the first meeting of the school committee on which you sit as a member because of your Uh position as mayor, um, Uh uh, the complaint was that the open notice of the meeting did not encompass the expanse of the decision or did not encompass the decision to not offer uh, Dr. Perone the job. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Mayor... We, let's just take another minute or two, if we might, on two other quick topics um, that are important to East Hampton. Uh, one is, I was riding my bike on the bike path yesterday. The new building seems to be completed or nearly completed. The one behind it on the bike path, the old mill building, seems to be decrepit and falling down. What's the status of those construction projects? Um, so they're ongoing. Uh, building 3 and Building 5 are both and, done. And, and describe where they are for our listeners, please. Um, on uh, the corner of Ferry, Love Field, and Pleasant Street, where the roundabout is, right in the Mill District. Okay. Um, and the status? And they're, they're commercial buildings? They're retail buildings? They're, uh, they're residential? What, what are they, and, and are they going to be occupied soon like that? Yeah, Building 3 has been occupied now from before the um, pandemic, and that's a couple of apartments and businesses. That was full the, the day it opened. Um, building five behind it are condominiums and apartments. The apartments are all filled, and maybe there's one or two condominiums left, and that's been open a year this coming August or September. Um, building seven, with the one that's right the closest that's kind of fallen apart, um, that will be some kind of a mixed use. Uh, there have been issues with supply chain and some of the um, bricks uh, and whatnot that the uh, owner, principal owner, has been tracking down literally up and down the East Coast, but work's going on in inside of it, and he's hoping to address the labor, I'm sorry, the supply issues. Labor's not an issue here, but um, it's already under contract with, um, was it D.A. Sullivan is the general contractor, uh, but we're, there's work that you can't see structural that's going on inside. The roof had been secured. So there won't be, you know, further damage from water. Um, but the big thing is there's there's bricks that cannot and other pieces integral to the building structure that he can't get. He would he would love building seven to be done on schedule, which is the end of this summer. Um, and that's I mean, when you look at the building, I looked at the building. That's not, not happening. happening. No, no. Any idea it when when it might be completed? Or you just can't tell at this point. I I can't you know can't tell. But I actually I speak to the developers about once a week, and they're almost at the point where they have done everything they can without getting um, you know without the missing materials. One last question. So it could be. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. One last question on a different topic, if I might. Uh, yeah. Uh, Omar Gomez, president of the city council, told us on the show last week about f- civilian flaggers being used. This is an issue that comes in before every municipality, as far as I know. And East Hampton it seems to be out in front on this, using civilian flaggers uh, for uh, vehicle uh, and traffic issues um, instead of police officers. Uh, is that going to be implemented in East Hampton? And what was the impetus for that? So a lot of cities in Western Mass 
um, do it already and have done it for a while. And that's because police officers aren't picking up those shifts, the road details. Um, so it's open to civilians. In East Hampton, we have this provision called traffic um, control officers, and they work only for East Hampton. They're civilians. There's a training they have to take. And we have been, we've had to go to civilians, TCOs, and, and as they're called in East Hampton, a, a while ago. Um, and it's, you know, the, the jobs that are most straightforward, they're out there, they're so marked as a TCO, they don't have a badge, they don't have a gun. Um, and there's an app that kind of you, you, once you're hired and it fills in, so there's no way to bump, you know, it's like police, retired police, and then civilians and it go, and you basically put in for a job. So if a police officer, a retired police officer and a civilian said, oh, I'll take Saturday morning shift, um, the, the police officer would get that shift. If no police officer, if no retired police officer wanted that shift, it would go to the civilian who posted for that. But whether they're a former police officer or not, no badge, no gun. No badge, no gun. But I believe that they have to go through a certification process of about four yes. days of training. They get paid $50 an hour. It's a good gig. But they do have to get certification that they've been trained. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the hourly rate right now in um, East Hampton is $56 an hour. Mayor Nicole LaChapelle, thank you so much for being with us on this Mayor's Monday. We really appreciate your time. Likewise. Have a great Monday. Everybody's talking at me I don't hear words they're saying Only the echoes of my mind People This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Over 200 students, staff, and community members rallied in front of Amherst Regional Middle School Friday morning to show support to 7th and 8th graders after alleged transphobic actions by staff members. The protest included transgender flags and rainbow chalk hearts. Meanwhile, the Amherst Pelham Education Association took a no-confidence vote in Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes just one day after Morris said he would step aside for an unspecified length of time due to mental health challenges following allegations that three counselors at the middle school engaged in transphobic actions. The union is also asking for the Assistant Superintendent for Diversity, Equity, and Human Resources, Doreen Cunningham, to resign. According to the Gazette, the reasons cited for the vote include an unsafe environment for children, including the way Morris has dealt with complaints around marginalized and LGBTQ communities, and unethical hiring practices and a toxic work environment created by Cunningham. An executive meeting will be held tonight. The Northampton Public School District is planning to update its K-5 elementary school literacy program as part of a nationwide effort to improve reading in students. The district has received nearly $300,000 in state and federal grants. Schools are pivoting toward an educational approach known as the science of reading, which emphasizes aspects such as phonics, breaking down words by syllables, and studying the sounds different vowel combinations make, following assessments from the Department of Education that shows only 33% of fourth-grade students nationwide are considered proficient in reading. 
For today, it'll be mostly sunny and warmer, high 72 to 76. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 46 to 50. And the Oliver Tuesday, sun and clouds, breezy and warm, highs around 80. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This news update in Spanish is brought to you by our friends at Holyoke Media. Yo soy Johan Rashivega con la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media. Un jurado encontró a Donald Trump responsable el martes por abusar sexualmente de la columnista Elizabeth Jean Carroll en 1996, otorgándole 5 millones de dólares en un juicio que podría atormentar al expresidente mientras hace campaña para recuperar la Casa Blanca. El veredicto fue dividido. Los miembros del jurado rechazaron la afirmación de Carroll de que fue violada y encontraron a Trump responsable de un menor grado de abuso sexual. El juicio se suma a los problemas legales de Trump y ofrece una vindicación a Carroll, cuyas acusaciones habían sido burladas y rechazadas por Trump durante años. Ella asintió cuando se anunció el veredicto de un tribunal federal de la ciudad de Nueva York solo tres horas después de que comenzaran las deliberaciones. Luego abrazó a los partidarios y sonrió entre lágrimas. Los miembros del jurado también encontraron a Trump responsable de difamar a Carroll por sus acusaciones. Trump no asistió al juicio civil y estuvo ausente cuando se leyó el veredicto. Trump arremetió de inmediato en su sitio de redes sociales, afirmando que no conoce a Carroll y refiriéndose al veredicto como una vergüenza y una continuación de la cacería de brujas más grande de todos los tiempos. Prometió apelar. En otras informaciones, el presidente Joe Biden y los principales legisladores acordaron el martes continuar las conversaciones destinadas a romper un punto muerto sobre el aumento del límite de deuda de Estados Unidos de 31.4 billones de dólares con solo tres semanas antes de que el país se vea obligado a un incumplimiento sin precedentes. Después de aproximadamente una hora de conversaciones en la oficina Oval, Biden y el presidente republicano de la Cámara de Representantes, Kevin McCarthy, comprometieron a sus asistentes a discusiones diarias sobre áreas de posible acuerdo a medida que se avecina el incumplimiento el 1 de junio. Yo soy Johan Rashivega y esta fue la síntesis informativa de Holyoke Media a través de WHMP. This news update in Spanish has been brought to you by our partners at Holyoke Media. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we welcome back to our show Lori Millman, who is the executive director of the Center for New Americans, who has with her and us in the studio today three very special guests. And we want you to know why they're here and what is happening. And Lori, I'm going to turn the microphone over to you for the introductions, please. Lori Millman. Thank you for having us. So we are looking forward to Immigrant Voices, a celebration of the arts, which is our annual showcase Sunday, this Sunday, May 21st, at 7 o'clock p.m. at the Shea Theater Arts Center in Turner's Falls. And we celebrate our students and our former students, and we give them the stage. And they may be students sometimes in our English classes, and they're learning something new. But on the stage, they're experts about their culture and their traditions, and we're learning from them. So we're really looking forward to that. For our listeners who don't know, Tell us a bit about the Center for New Americans, please. What do you do? How long you've been here? Where the program and programs are? Like that. So Center for New Americans is a community-based education and resource center. We've been around for over 30 years. We welcome immigrants with free English classes, career assistance, and immigration legal services. 
We are fortunate to be welcoming Haitians and Afghans and Ukrainians and Venezuelans now. And we have um, some of our Haitian community members in the studio. And um, we're so happy that they're back on stage this year. They have performed in this showcase before. And they're actually very comfortable and very professional on stage. And when we know that they're agreeing, we know that the show will be okay. We're having positive nodding going on here in the studio. That's terrific. I really appreciate it. Would you like to introduce your Center for New American uh, yes, Students, so, please? So Rose and Joanne and Joanne's sister, Kelly, yes? And Rose and Joanne have been here a while. And Kelly, I think you arrived recently, yes? No, February. Can you tell us about that? Tell us about your journey a little bit? I guess we'll go all three of you. Uh, I'd like to know a little bit about who you are and what your experience with the Center for New Americans has been. Hi, everyone. My name is Rose Ermine Kukion. So um, I was a student at Center uh, for New Americans. So I had a great experience because uh, Center for New Americans make me comfortable in my English. So <laughs> I really improved. Um, my English, so I think it was a great experience. And then um, I participated um, a couple of years ago. I've been participating in that show, um, um, Immigrant Voices. And I'm so excited this year we're going back on stage. Um, I cannot wait. So uh, we're waiting for all of you to come and join us, and we're going to have fun. What will you be performing? Um, I'm going to perform with these ladies, Joanne and Kelly. We're going to sing together. We're going to sing a Haitian music. So I think everybody's going to be happy and love that song. So I just cannot wait. <laughs> Will you perform that for us today? Would you do that? Uh, we can give you a little bit. Okay, all right. <laughs> we'll do that in just a bit. Can we hear from your two com compatriots? Uh, Please tell us what your journey has been and how you have been involved with the Center for New Americans and what it means to you. Um, I'm Joanne Just. I've been with Center for New Americans since 2017. I was a student there. Um, when I came in, I couldn't really speak. So right now, I think you guys can understand what I'm saying right now. <laughs> so it was I understand you so much better than Buzz, for example, <laughs> really. <laughs> So, so it, it was a great pleasure to be with them. So I'm always with them. And this year, again, we're going to be um, singing in that show on Sunday. So we are really excited to be there. Um, I can't wait. And, and the music that you'll be performing, is it traditional? What, what is it? Um, why are you, what song is it? And what, why are um, you performing it? One of them, it's about um, Haiti, you know, uh, all what is happening over there right now. It's going to be a song about that. We want peace in Haiti. It is about that. We really want peace to be back, so the way it was before. Okay, so we have two sisters here and one friend, yes? And we'd like to hear from you. Please tell us your name and what your journey has been and what your experience with the Center for New Americans has been. Hello, everyone. I am Karen Aurelius. Please just get right up to um, the mic. You're doing great. You're doing great. You're doing great. Hello, everyone. I'm Karen Aurelius. And how long have you been with the Center for New Americans? I speak a little bit. 
How long? <laughs> She's just you're, arrived, you're doing so. great. How long have you been with the Center for New Americans? Two months. Wow. Wow. And I also want to say something about Rose and Joanne's journey because you were both nurses in Haiti, yes. And um, Joanne, well, I, I think you're studying now, but Joanne has actually recredentialed as a nurse here. And that's a whole other conversation. There's a huge need for nurses, and we don't make it easy. So yeah. she, she has actually come back and supervised our group of nurse aid students in their clinical practice. That's an amazing journey. Thank you. Can you tell us a bit about how long uh, students stay with the Center for New Americans, how soon after uh, people arrive in this country that they connect with the Center for New Americans? It, it really depends, right? I mean, Joanne said that you didn't speak a lot of English when you started, but you weren't in classes that long. You could stay for six months. You six could stay months. for... I was there for six months, and they kicked me out. <laughs> <laughs> That's because you were reading and writing at a pretty high level. But you could stay for two or three years. People come, they work calls or family calls. They stop and they come back. Um, but... And they can also connect with us in terms of immigration legal services. And one of the things that was really exciting this year is that there are so many new students from Haiti, and they met students at our practice. And so we have a new student just arrived who's going to accompany you on guitar, right, in one of the songs. And I, I, it must be a beacon of hope to some of the new arrivals to see people like Rose and Joanne who have been here so long and, and built a new life, you know? It must be very reassuring. It is inspiring. Tell us a bit, if you, please, if you would please, Laurie Millman, Executive Director of the Center for New Americans, Immigrant Voices, this Sunday, May 21st at the Shea in Turner's Falls. What time and how long will the program be? Is there a cost? Is it a fundraiser? Please. Um, it's 7 o'clock p.m. It's probably about an hour and a half Tickets are $10. You can buy them on our website. Um, we, some of, if you make a donation, it will create a bank of tickets for students and their performers. And I really want you to hear from, from our performers here because they are really accomplished. When you say hear from, do you mean hear, the, hear a song? Huh? Are, you, are you all willing to sing for us? Okay. Okay. <laughs> yes would be really good. <laughs> I appreciate it. Okay. You guys, you ready? Yeah. Not much warning. We really appreciate you doing this. You have so much more courage than I would have. <laughs> voler, voler, qu'ils étoiles dans ciel. Voler, voler, simte gazelle. Ton couillon oiseau t'a volé, accueillis étoiles dans le ciel. Si m'étais la pluie, t'as mis ta genou devant mon Dieu. Is that a traditional song? Yeah, that's from a, a Haitian. Um, that's from um, Mika Ben, that's a uh, Haitian artist who just passed away last, um, 
last year. That was a really shock for all Haitian people because he passed away in plain concert. He just collapsed on the stage. So that was really sad. So And we're still happy to sing his songs. But we just sing a little bit. We don't sing the whole thing. But if you want us to sing the whole thing, we can still go back and sing the whole song. <laughs> so we just sing a little bit in that song. Yeah, so... Well, maybe we'll do that right after the break. We'll be right back with these people, these folks from the Center for New Americans. We can't wait to hear you live Sunday at the Shea, 7 o'clock, Immigrant Voices. We'll be right back. More Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. For the first time in the history of the country and of the history of the United States, the Supreme Court has taken away a constitutional right. I would also describe this day as a day when women in the United States and people who can become pregnant have become second-class citizens. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. It's the all-new Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Brought to you by realtor Craig Delapena. Over 18 years experience selling valley homes within 10 blocks of rail trails near parks and other conservation areas or antique and historic houses. Contact Craig at NorthamptonRealtor.com slash innovator. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster only on WHMP. I am Marco and I am always been full of life, full of energy and always on the go. At the age of 21, I was diagnosed with kidney disease. My life was saved by an organ donor. Receiving a life-saving organ put my life back into play, and I was able to move forward and make my dreams come true. Anyone can sign up to be an organ donor, whether you're 16 or 96. Be a hero. Be an organ donor. Register today. Register at mass.gov organ donor. Sponsored by New England Donor Services. College tuition, a long overdue remodel. Credit card consolidation. Good ideas come to you every day. But now, with a home equity loan from Franklin First Federal Credit Union, you take ideas and make them come alive. Get a fixed rate of 5.74% APR for 20 years and gain control of your world again. Start at franklinfirst.org. Rates subject to change, membership eligibility required. Franklin First Federal Credit Union is an equal housing lender and insured by NCUA. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. We are back with Rose and Kelly and Johan from the Center for New Americans and Lori, who is the executive director. They are here because we want you to know about Immigrant Voices. It's this Sunday, May 21st, 7 o'clock at the Shea. Tickets are $10, and you can do us all a great favor by buying not only your ticket, but tickets for others who can't afford that, and they will be given this $10 ticket that you've purchased. You go to the website for the Center for New Americans, cnam.org. Is that right? Thank you, Lori. And you can do yourself a favor and do the community a service. 
We would like to hear a bit more, Rose, Kelly, Johan, uh, what you'll be singing. Again, Immigrant Voices this Sunday. Would you sing a little bit more for us? Would you be willing? I'd really appreciate that. Thank you. So um, I just want to say something. Actually, this song is not the song we're going to sing in the say program. Again. Oh, this song is not the song we're going to sing in the program, just to let you know. Okay. You want this song we're going to sing on Sunday, or you want us to sing another song? I just want to hear you sing because your voices are beautiful, <laughs> whatever you're happy with. <laughs> okay. All right. Vole, vole. Gays étoiles dans le ciel Voler, voler Sim de gazelle Dans couillons oiseaux D'avoler Gays étoiles dans le ciel Sim de la pluie Moi t'a jeté de l'eau Pour m'ouser I don't want to. I don't want to intrude. I don't want to impose. But I would like you to share with us what you are willing to about your journey to the United States, how you came, and the motivations for coming. All right. Um, this is Rose again, back on the microphone. <laughs> so um, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about my journey. So I came in United States um, 2015. So for a reason of insecurity in my country, so um, that's the reason why I came. So I think uh, all immigrants will try to immigrate to another country. That's because they don't feel safe. So I was, uh, a, I was a professional in my country. I had a great job, but I have to leave everything behind and come. And then my husband was living here um, before me. So it wasn't a great idea to live far from him, but he was agreed to just come join him in the United States. So, and then now I'm living with my husband and have my three kids. We're living together. So that's all it's about. Um, again, I am Joanne Gis. I'm from Haiti. I moved in the United States in 2017 with my husband. Um, I was a nurse in Haiti. I'm a nurse here again, so I got my credentials, so I'm working as a nurse. And also my husband, it was hard for us to leave Haiti to come. My husband, he was a doctor, surgeon, orthopedic in Haiti, and we moved together because it wasn't safe for us to live there. And I have two kids, we live here, and also I have my sister-in-law with me in that program, um, family reunification, so she came into that program. We are thankful for that and we feel safe here so we also hope Haiti is good again but for now we are thankful to be in America thank you and what difference did the Center for New Americans make in your life um Center for New American helps us to get through things easier you know, so when we came in, so we couldn't speak English. So with the little bit they gave us at the beginning, the English classes, 
So we were able, I was able to go to see doctors with my kids. And I was like a little bit shy to go even to go to a store to buy groceries. Um, you know, when you have to pay, you like, you don't understand what they're saying. <laughs> so I, I would say after a couple of weeks, I could go out, you know, and I could call doctor to make appointments, stuff like that. So I am so thankful. It's a good school. That's why I'm always with them. I don't think I'm going to leave them. So anytime I have something, I'll be there. <laughs> well, we thank you. You thank you for all you bring to all of us. Lori Millman, one more time, please t tell those who are with us where the concert is, why the concert is, and when it is. Immigrant Voices, a celebration of the arts. It is really a celebration of this amazing diversity and richness of our community. Uh, you'll hear from people from Haiti, Ukraine, the DRC, Sunday, May 21st, 7 o'clock p.m., Shea Theater Arts Center. Buy tickets on our website or theirs. And your website is? www.cnam.org. Thank you all so much. Lori, Rose, Kelly, Shahan. Thank you. Break a leg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. Here comes the money. You could be one word away from $1,000. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Listen each weekday for the $1,000 keyword at around 815, 1215, and 415. When you hear the keyword, just go to whmp.com and enter it for a shot at $1,000. You have until midnight to enter the keyword of the day. It's a grand in the hand on WHMP. Complete rules and details on whmp.com. Pets and people, they belong together. They help us feel calm and loved with every tail wag, kiss, and snuggle. Dakin Humane Society believes in this bond, and your support keeps people and pets together. You provide resources so animals with medical issues can get the care they need to find homes. Our pet food aid program lets people facing tough times feed and keep their pets because you care. Dakin's many programs and services help companion animals and the people who love them. To make a gift, visit DakinHumane.com. WHMP Northampton and WRSI HD2 Turner's Falls. WHMP.com, a Northampton radio group station. It's 10 o'clock. To our Oakland community, we have reached a tentative agreement with the Oakland Unified School District. For far too long, our communities have been told to wait for safe and racially just community schools. Exact terms of the deal have not been made public yet. Some teachers head back today. Students return tomorrow. It's unusually hot in the Pacific Northwest, and they're closing down campsites at Yosemite. The concern is high water as warmer weather quickly melts huge amounts of snow from a series of epic winter storms. We may see additional flooding, but we're, we're all keeping a very close eye on that and ensuring that visitors and guests are safe when they come into the park. Chelsea Lehman is with the National Park Service. The National Weather Service has issued a flood watch for the area until at least Friday. Jim Crisilda, CBS News. As border officials braced for a new onslaught of asylum seekers, the number crossing into the U.S. actually decreased after the pandemic-era Title 42 rule expired Friday. But many lawmakers say overall, those numbers are still too high and detention centers are packed. Correspondent Weijia Jiang. Over the weekend, migrants arrived at border fences for 
a shot at a new life and for help to survive. Hambre también, tenemos mucha hambre. You're hungry. Hungry, yes. Homeland Security um, Secretary... I, 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 Correspondent Cami McCormick has the details. The TSA is increasing a number of security measures nationwide, and so far this is voluntary. Facial recognition technology has come under scrutiny in the past, but it's now being tested in 16 airports. It compares the image on your driver's license or passport to those captured on cameras. Critics say the increasing surveillance of Americans violates privacy rights. Seeing more sloppy jalopies out there? Blame pandemic slowdowns, inflation, and interest rates. Here's CBS's Jim Crisula. We are taking our great American road trips in older and older cars. The average age of a passenger vehicle on U.S. highways and byways has hit a record 12.5 years. That's according to data gathered by S&P Global Mobility. Sedans are even older on average, 13.6 years. A once-hot digital news startup has filed for bankruptcy this morning. Vice Media's lenders are expected to acquire the company. They've put in a $225 million bid to be covered by existing loans. Vice News Tonight was canceled weeks ago. This is CBS. Need to hire quality candidates fast? You need Indeed. Their powerful hiring platform helps you attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Visit Indeed.com slash credit slash credit. I'm Howard Mackler, founder of Innovation Refunds. You've heard me talking about the payroll tax refund for months. If you own a business, even if you've asked your CPA about this, you owe it to yourself to take another look. We provide a licensed and insured tax attorney who evaluates your company at my expense to determine eligibility. Businesses of all types can qualify, so go to GetRefunds.com to potentially get a payroll tax refund of up to $26,000 per employee. Download the Innovation Refunds app or go to GetRefunds.com, GetRefunds.com. Great, it's yours. See you then. Nathan's Tiki-themed bar is swimming in end-of-year party bookings. Where can I find that many servers? They want headlamps? And I'm going to need to find a band. He needs caterers to navigate the rising tide. No, Mario, not your cousin's cover band. Indeed can help him hire great people fast. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. We instantly connect you with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Over 200 students, staff, and community members rallied in front of Amherst Regional Middle School Friday morning to show support to 7th and 8th graders after alleged transphobic actions by staff members. The protest included transgender flags and rainbow chalk hearts. Meanwhile, the Amherst Pelham Education Association took a no-confidence vote in Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes just one day after Morris said he would step aside for an unspecified length of time due to mental health challenges, following allegations that three counselors at the middle school engaged in transphobic actions. The union is also asking for the Assistant Superintendent for Diversity, Equity, and Human Resources, Doreen Cunningham, to resign. According to the Gazette, the reasons cited for the vote include an unsafe environment for children, including the way Morris has dealt with complaints around marginalized and LGBTQ communities, and unethical hiring practices and a toxic work environment created by Cunningham. An executive meeting will be held tonight. The Northampton Public School District is planning to update its K-5 elementary school literacy program as part of a nationwide effort to improve reading in students. 
The district has received nearly $300,000 in state and federal grants. Schools are pivoting toward an educational approach known as the science of reading, which emphasizes aspects such as phonics, breaking down words by syllables, and studying the sounds different vowel combinations make, following assessments from the Department of Education that shows only 33% of fourth grade students nationwide are considered proficient in reading. For today, it'll be mostly sunny and warmer, high 72 to 76. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 46 to 50. And the Oliver Tuesday, sun and clouds, breezy and warm, highs around 80. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. This is Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg on WHMP. And welcome to the show. I am Buzz Eisenberg. I'm Bill Newman. And Bill, we have a really special guest uh, this uh, hour, we have the chair of the Greenfield, the very busy Greenfield School Committee, Amy Proietti, joining us um, via Skype from uh, Greenfield. Amy, thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting with you both. Oh, great. So I guess we have to start with budget. It is budget season. I know the school Indeed. committee has its own aspirations for what we what should be provided in order to uh, uh, complete the mission, to further the mission of the school committee in Greenfield. And I know the mayor has a slightly different idea, and the city council has an even different idea. So tell us about, if you could, uh, update us on, on the budget situation. Sure. So we originally asked for an increase to the school budget of uh, just over 10%, which I would say sounds high. Uh, but is pretty, um, it's pretty average when you look at the other school districts around us. Um, there are significant cost increases and uh, across the board, uh, school districts are needing just more funds to operate. And we're committed to, as a school committee, our general policy is to not ask for what, we ask for what we need. We don't ask for luxuries. We ask for what we need to run the schools. Um, the mayor came back with about 3% and that left us a gap of about one and a half million dollars. And uh, that was accompanied by one of the most heartening things I've seen in my time on the school committee, which was uh, without any prompting a, a public uh, uproar about the, that cut. And we have seen folks come out to school committee meetings, come out even more so to city council meetings, because in this process, once uh, the mayor sets her budget, it's in the hands of the mayor and the city council and kind of out of the hands of the school committee. Um, and we've had to watch as uh, the Ways and Means subcommittee of the city council looks to find funds uh, to decrease that gap while at the same time planning for uh, how we're going to manage the current $1.5 million gap. And managing that meant the superintendent introducing $1.5 million worth of cuts that we were looking at uh, for the FY24 uh, year. And significant among those that uh, parents and, and community members and students have really latched onto is uh, eliminating middle school sports entirely. Um, and that has had, I, 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 in fact, the early this morning answered back for students from our high school who'd 
emailed concerned about middle school sports. Um, and of course, there's lots of other things on the list. Um, and it's uh, it, it's also, and I'll, I'll share at this point how much I listened to your show. You all stumbled over what ESSER stood for at a recent show. Um, and ESSER is the money we got from the federal government uh, directly to schools uh, during the pandemic. And it stands for Elementary and Secondary School Emergency Relief. Thank you for that. Um, and you're welcome. And we had established a plan, our, our superintendent, Christine, Dr. Christine DeBarge, established a plan when we received ESSER 1, 2, and 3. It was given out in three installments. She developed a plan to use those funds over the allotted time, which is uh, through FY24. Um, in, and um, we have been planning all along to use those in the way she's described for curriculum up updates, for textbooks, um, for a number of, of technology purchases. And what the cut from the mayor for FY24 has meant is that we have to shift those funds into FY24 to cover these things we planned um, to, to purchase, as well as cover some of the negotiated uh, settlements for the unions and their raises, their contracts, their wage increases, all of which are significantly important. And what the superintendent and I have tried to stress is you know, with the remaining ESSER funds, we can make do in a way uh, with some minimal cuts uh, for FY24, but then we have what we call a funding cliff in FY25, where those funds we plan to use from ESSER and FY25 are gone. And we, we don't have an assurance that we would be able to make those same purchases, many of which would be, we would rely on capital requests uh, from the city to be able to 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 uh, update our materials, our curriculum, our technology, things like that. Um, so it's a very real issue right now. I, I'm a bit confused. Is the choice sure. between an emergency funding uh, shortfall now or an emergency sh shortfall in a year that is really large? One point five million dollars for a school budget uh, the size of Greenfield sounds like an enormous gap to try to fill. The question is either now or in a year, or am I misunderstanding? You, the, you really have simplified it better than I could, Bill. That's exactly what we're looking at is um, the, you know, and I, we have thankfully a business manager and a superintendent in Greenfield who are masters with the budget. And they understand very well how to manage our funds from different sources with different rules, but indeed, uh, it, it is a shortfall that doesn't go away and, and may actually increase in FY25 if we don't deal with it now. And was there a million and a half shortfall this year, but it was covered by these emergency funds, these ESSER funds? Is that is that my understanding of that correct or no? Yeah. Um, that's, that's an interesting question. So it, it's we rely a great deal on the local uh, aid, the local uh, allocation each year. And when we ask for 10% from the local, um, I think that it, we expect to get close to that. In fact, last year, um, I believe we asked for 7% and got around six. And so to have such a discrepancy between those two figures 
um, does leave us in a, in a, I often say this, leaves us in a pickle in terms of what we're going to do. But that shortfall of one and a half million um, is not going to go away unless the local increases. I guess that's the easiest way to answer your question. Greenfield School Committee Chair Amy Proietti, it, it is getting kind of intriguing up there. We have uh, met and had on the show uh, Ginny DeSorga. She's uh, the chair of the Ways and Means Committee of the City Council of Greenfield. And Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner, who is uh, the incumbent and has announced she's going to run. And Ginny DeSorga has announced she is going to run for mayor and contest her. Uh, Ginny DeSorga said when she was on the show that she thinks that there's too much money in the police budget and not enough money in the school budget. Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner has said she thinks that the school budget is commensurate with what other schools, other cities that size have uh, allocated to their schools. Where, where do you, as chair of the school committee, land in this debate between these two candidates for mayor? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned about any time where we compare one department, police, to another schools. I think that um, the, the realities and uh, what we need can change from year to year. And I try not to discuss it that way. Um, what I would stress is um, my concern that the, the mayor, the current mayor, Mayor Wiedergartner, does not accurately reflect what's happening with um, our state aid or our enrollment figures. Um, it, she appeared on your show on April 24th to talk about uh, the budget for the city. Um, and at that time, she talked about declining funding specifically for the schools from the state. And I would like to correct that that's actually not, it's not factual. Um, in fact, this year, our we have an increase from the state in funding, even though um, we you can see from our headcount numbers that we have declining enrollment. And I'm not going to get into headcount versus foundation. Uh, enrollment figures, they are two different numbers taken at two different times and used for two different things. But for FY24, we have almost a half a million dollars in an increase from the state in our funding. And that is primarily due to the Student Opportunity Act. Um, and the other things I would mention related to that is not only Student Opportunity Act, but some tweaks to the Chapter 70, that's our bulk of our state money that we get um, some tweaks to that formula, and also the attention being paid to the rural schools and rural school initiatives, which is not Greenfield, but I do like to say a rising tide lifts all ships, and every school district around us is a rural school that's impacted by some significant challenges. Um, and I like to point to all of the things that the state is doing to kind of highlight what is not happening locally, um, and we can't continue to uh, underfund our schools at either the local or the state level. And right now, the local underfunding is much more significant than what's happening at the state level. And more importantly, at the state level, we have um, we have our representatives and our senator uh, listening to us, as well as a governor who's clearly focused on um, equity for Western Mass. Um, and the challenge at the in the city is very real. I don't feel that um, I'm seeing a commitment from the city to excellence in our schools, which is is absolutely our goal. Amy Proietti, what about the fair share amendment, the, the euphemistically called millionaires tax uh, and the, the 
the uh, nature of that law uh, is that uh, there's a roughly equal split between education and transportation. Um, on the education side of things, there's a con I don't want to say competition. There's uh, there's higher public higher education that needs funding, and there's K through 12 that needs funding. Uh, how does that impact on the Greenfield School Committee? Uh, so, you know, it, full disclosure, I work at Greenfield Community College, so I work in the higher ed time, uh, side full time, and I'm also involved in the K through 12 with the school committee. And uh, I believe that about 2% of what comes in in FY24 from the fair share amendment is slated to go to K through 12. And that I know for our school committee, for several folks was quite shocking that the uh, amount was that low. And what I can tell you from someone employed in the public uh, higher ed side, that this is, uh, it, it, we need the money as much as the K through 12 is, uh, does, and it's going to be hard for fair share amendment funds to really close a gap uh, in, the, in the early years of this being enacted. Um, and so it, what we're getting, if we get anything from fair share in FY24 will be relatively insignificant. Well, I don't mean to be a pessimist here, but I would like to understand if the fair share amendment funds aren't going to close the gap and the Student Opportunity Act funds are not going to close the gap and the uh, Chapter 70 money is not going to close the gap, that leaves it up to the city of Greenfield to see if it's going to raise more money. And either the money has to come from some other department being cut or you have to raise property taxes. None of those seem like very good options or very popular ones, but what are you going to do? What do yeah, you think the city you know, should I, do? I, I think that we have to be a little bit more innovative. And I do think that as schools, we have to also look at what we can do better. And one thing that we have started to look at is something called shared services with other uh, school districts in the area. And this is in very, very early conversation stages to kind of see, are there things that we can do that would structure um, our funding in a smarter way? And I'll give you an example. We would really like to have uh, professional administrators within the district that focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and how that looks for um, our school districts. And you can't ever get there when there's declining funds from local and state. And so we have, uh, we're interested in partnering with other districts to be able to share, for example, an assistant superintendent for something like that. Um, and that is in addition to obviously advocating for additional funds from local sources, we definitely want to look at what we can be doing smarter. Um, I'm a solution oriented person in every way. And so if I can't rely on uh, the local aid, what can I do differently? What can we do smarter um, to help close that gap? We are talking with Amy Proietti, the chair, the now becoming seasoned chair of the Greenfield School Committee. We're going to be back with this Amy. This is year four, indeed. Mm -hmm. Getting some experience there. We're going to be right back with Amy right after this.
You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. It's your home for the resistance. Tom Hartman, weekdays at noon. Get informed, then get involved. I'm Tom Hartman from the Tom Hartman Program. Intelligent talk, opinion, and debate. Join me every weekday, noon to 3, right here on WHMP. 1,001, 1,400, WHMP. Get takeout, save 30%. Get candles, or hit the links, save 30%. Dog grooming, outdoor recreation, burritos, save 30%. The Shop 30 store, full-value gift certificates to local restaurants and merchants, plus tickets and events. Just click, print, and save 30% on the stuff you were going to buy anyway. The Shop 30 store, open right now at whmp.com. Having a hard time with your mental health or substance use? You have options. The 24-7 Behavioral Health Helpline is your front door to care. Call 833-773-2445 to speak with a trained staff member and get connected to the support you need. Want to see someone right away? Visit mass.gov cbhcs to find your local community behavioral health center, a service of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Would you like a better world? It's as easy as grabbing a hammer and building a home. Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity builds strength, stability, and self-reliance through affordable home ownership in Hampshire and Franklin County. It's not a handout, it's a hand up. Habitat homes are built with donations of material, land, and services. Future homeowners and volunteers create a partnership with Habitat for Humanity to build a home, strengthen our neighborhoods, and create a legacy for our community. Help transform the world. Volunteer and support Pioneer Valley Habitat for Humanity. PVHabitat.org. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. And we are back with Greenfield School Committee Chair Amy Proietti. Um, uh, Amy, I think it was on Friday, there was an article on the front page of the recorder uh, written by Mary Byrne that, that uh, the headline is Mayor's Column Sparks censure vote. Um, could you tell us as much as you can about uh, the column and about the censure vote, that uh, the motion to censure? Sure. So uh, the mayor wrote an editorial for the um, editorial page of the recorder. I, I believe it was published April 16. In the first paragraph of that, she shares that in the executive session of a meeting earlier that week or the week before, she voted yes on this uh, agreements to uh, settle with our unions for our teachers unions for increased wages and other uh, benefits. And um, immediately upon reading that, I could not believe that uh, there would be a breach of the confidentiality of the school committee by sharing what was voted on in executive session. And it is worth noting that that executive session happened prior to the 6 p.m. start of our regular monthly meeting for April. And the mayor did not stay for the monthly meeting where we voted right away in public um, on the, that, those contracts. Um, and she, she left early to go to another meeting 
but then shared how she had voted in an executive session. In my experience in governance and in executive session precedent, you do not share how you vote in those uh, deliberations until the whole body agrees to uh, release the minutes to the public. That is a uh, standard procedure. And I felt like it was important enough as the leader of the school committee to make sure that we make put on notice that anyone who would do that uh, as a member of the school committee needs to be reminded of, of the, the decorum of the body. It is not, a, it's a reprimand, it's a public reprimand, if you will. Um, it's not something that I understand to be necessarily against the open meeting law, but it's a way to remind our members that we do have procedures, we have precedent, and we have things that we uh, do in certain processes that it's important to, to um, uh, <laughs> important, just important to respect in that manner. Um, so we know where we're all coming from as a body. I don't know if this is a fair question or not, but I'm going to ask it, Amy, anyway, because I know that you and Roxanne Wiedergartner, the mayor of Greenfield, are longtime friends and um, agreed on a lot of things. And now you, it seems like in your respective positions, you as the chair of the school committee and the mayor is as the mayor, that there's a number of disagreements and some of them are pretty big. How, how do you deal with a former friend when in your official capacity, you seem to be at loggerheads with a lot of tension in your relationship. How, how does, how do you do that? And is she, a, an is she a former friend? Uh, I would still call the mayor a friend. Absolutely. Um, I, I would not put a former in front of that. Uh, she's also a neighbor. That's where we first met is uh, with her walking her dog past my house every morning and having a little chit chat. Um, that was over 20 years ago. And um, I know that Mayor Wiedergartner works hard. Um, I know she has a lot of competing interests. Um, I probably more than anyone have been surprised to see where her priorities have played out uh, specifically with, um, I think like many folks, starting with the infamous now uh, case with the police and the liability around racism um, and standing behind our uh, chief and continuing to fight that fight when I think that for healing and for other reasons, we should be moving on. Um, I can't speak to a lot of the decisions that she's made around the schools. Um, we have not had a really um, evolved relationship around the communications between the schools uh, and the city. And I think that's evident in some of the ways that these things have unfolded. And again, I, you know, I believe there's, there's probably at least, there's more than a dozen, less than two dozen city departments. I don't know how many there are off the top of my head, 17 or 18 maybe. And that's, those are a lot of competing interests. Um, and I think when you are a municipal uh, school district in Massachusetts and the way that funding works, uh, it can be very, very challenging to make ends meet. And it's not surprising to me that there's a mayor who um, really wants to tamp down how much of the local funds go to the schools. Um, I think that's a natural knee-jerk reaction. I, I think it's short-sighted. I think it um, really stifles economic development, uh, but I, I, don't, I don't necessarily think that it's being done in a way um, that is, 
is is purposeful against the stools. I think she's trying to balance competing interests and, and maybe not choosing the route that a lot of the community would like to take. What I've said to actually to Janita Sorger, our uh, chair of Ways and Means, is I think the hard thing here is the mayor's priorities don't necessarily reflect the community priorities, and that's what we're seeing play out right now. Well, <clears throat> tell me what the priority is that you say that the mayor has that is essentially, in your view, I paraphrasing, shortchanging the schools. Yeah, I mean, I'm wh where, where do you want it? Where do you want to take? Where do you want the money to come from? Back to that question, I say you don't want to. Uh, you know, yeah, so let me gently, gently enter this. Yeah, let me gently answer this and enter this uh, this into the equation. Um, we've actually approached the city about some funds that um, we have uh, contributed for health insurance costs uh, and benefits costs for our uh, our employees on the school side. And our business manager has analyzed those costs back to 2018 and found that there isn't an appropriate reconciliation of those funds on a regular basis. And in fact, the schools are contributing more than they actually have in employees, to a which is a loss of revenue to the schools. Um, and I believe that what we're going to see from Ginny Disorder and the Ways and Means Committee when they meet in a full city council uh, this coming Wednesday, the 17th, is that they found that to be true also um, on the city side, that they aren't reconciling expenses specific to health insurance costs on a regular basis. And those funds are sitting there when they should uh, actually be redistributed to other areas of the budget. Um, and I find that it's troubling that we've raised this previously, um, and now it appears that the problem is larger than just the school side. I do think that there is uh, there are possibly funds available from that process being tightened up of uh, actually reconciling maybe monthly where employees are. Are they still employed by the schools? Are they still employed by the city? And if not, are we reconciling those funds and setting them elsewhere in the budget? Um, I would like to just change the subject a little bit because uh, there's an elephant in the room of every school committee in this region, and that is being evidenced by what's going on in East Hampton in its superintendent search and the superintendent in Amherst. Uh, and today's uh, the headline in the Daily Hampshire Gazette involves a union um, uh, vote of no confidence for the superintendent there who's now going on a, a um, disability uh, leave for health purposes. Um, is this a teachable moment for school committees uh, about how to search for a superintendent? Absolutely. Um, I, I talked briefly before about shared services. And one thing that I would like to also include in sharing services with our other uh, uh, neighboring districts is a leadership institute that we could develop that would help our senior level administrators to be ready for superintendent service. We have no idea until you are actively involved in a school committee, all of the pieces that go into being a superintendent and doing that job well, whether it's budgets or students in crisis um, or you know, the mundane pieces of um, hiring, uh, you know, endless amounts of um, interviews to hire staff over and over again all year long um, that it's not a job for the faint of heart and actually my uh, my, my uh, sympathies go out 
uh, to Superintendent Morris and Amherst, who um, we've heard is is uh, you know going out on leave and and having some medical issues. Perhaps it's not clear what it is. Um, and I can understand after working so closely with a couple of superintendents how that could be. It is a job that's in incredibly stressful. It's 24 hours a day. It's 365 days a year. Um, and a lot of what they actually do and are responsible for is not well understood by their employees, by the public. Um, and I think that that can be really draining on superintendents. Um, and with regard to East Hampton, um, there's so much about that that surprises me. And I think the thing that um, I'm, I'm most surprised by is we do not in, um, in Western Mass, we do not attract superintendent candidates from a national uh, reach. We are attracting people from our local stock of administrators in public schools. And when something happens such as it unfolded in East Hampton, there, there's a problem there that's going to persist for years, if not decades, because of how that was managed. And I think the, the teachable moment for Greenfield is we need to make sure that we are helping to develop leaders within our own uh, administration and that we are working with every piece of the um, resources uh, available to us, such as the Massachusetts Association of School Committees, which helps us day to day with um, all things school committee, as well as helping to understand the relationships we should have with our administrators. Um, and I don't know how East Hampton recovers. Uh, my heart also goes out to them. <laughs> In addition to Superintendent Morris, this is a tough job. Um, and they, they've got some work to do now to rebuild the relationships with folks they might hire to work either interim or permanently as their superintendent. Well, I wish we weren't out of time. If we had 10 hours to talk to you today, I wish I would call that a good day. But uh, school committee chair of Greenfield, Amy Proietti, I, uh, I wish you, the students, the schools up in Greenfield, we all wish you nothing but the best. We hope that the budget Thank situation endures to the benefit of the entire community, which is so supportive of its schools. And we thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you both. It was our pleasure. We're going to be back with Writer's Block with Megan Zinn right after these messages. Stay with us. Mountain lady, do you sit on your front porch in the cool of the day? Mountain lady, did you think your kids would ever come back to stay mountain lady does the column this is talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg for whmp news i'm jess tyler over 200 students staff and community members rallied in front of amherst regional middle school friday morning to show support to 7th and 8th graders after alleged transphobic actions by staff members. The protest included transgender flags and rainbow chalk hearts. Meanwhile, the Amherst Pelham Education Association took a no-confidence vote in Superintendent Michael Morris. This comes just one day after Morris said he would step aside for an unspecified length of time due to mental health challenges, following allegations that three counselors at the middle school engaged in transphobic actions. The union is also asking for the Assistant Superintendent for Diversity, Equity, and Human Resources 
Dorian Cunningham to resign. According to the Gazette, the reasons cited for the vote include an unsafe environment for children, including the way Morris has dealt with complaints around marginalized and LGBTQ communities and unethical hiring practices and a toxic work environment created by Cunningham. An executive meeting will be held tonight. The Northampton Public School District is planning to update its K-5 elementary school literacy program as part of a nationwide effort to improve reading in students. The district has received nearly $300,000 in state and federal grants. Schools are pivoting toward an educational approach known as the science of reading, which emphasizes aspects such as phonics, breaking down words by syllables, and studying the sounds different vowel combinations make, following assessments from the Department of Education that shows only 33% of fourth grade students nationwide are considered proficient in reading. For today, it'll be mostly sunny and warmer, high 72 to 76. Tonight, partly cloudy, overnight lows 46 to 50. And the Oliver Tuesday, sun and clouds, breezy and warm, highs around 80. I'm 22 New Storm Team Meteorologist Adam Stremko on 101.5 WHMP. Miss an episode of Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg? Want to hear the stories and perspectives of local business leaders? Click on podcasts at whmp.com. Talk the Talk, Western Mass Business Show, Financial Fitness with the Money Doctor, The Hustler Files, Panorama, and more. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. The only live and local talk in the Valley for the Valley. whmp.com. What's cooking at River Valley Co-op? Here's avid eater, grocery shopper, and co-op member, Bill Newman. Local farms are welcoming spring to the co-op. Asparagus popping up and ready to eat in bunches. In the co-op meat department, local chicken from Reed Farm, house-made brats and sausage, everything to kick off grilling season. In the co-op cheese department, welcome the maple season with maple-washed Willoughby, a delicious local cheese washed with Vermont maple liqueur. River Valley Co-op, wild about local. Everyone is welcome. 20 years ago, we envisioned creating a brighter future for people and planet. Now, PV Squared celebrates a big milestone. Two decades of designing, building, and maintaining quality solar projects for homes and businesses in our community. PV Squared is a worker-owned co-op. When you partner with us, you get a team dedicated to the success of your project, from your first meeting to servicing your system down the road. Build solar right and do business better. It's the co-op difference. Learn more at pvsquared.coop. You take a classic like Caesar salad and start to mess with it, that could get you into trouble. Things could go wrong. The Caesar salad at Paul and Elizabeth's is a radical departure from the classic Caesar. And fortunately, in this case, things have gone rather right. Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, a Caesar salad unlike any other, with romaine or kale or both, with balsamic onion, roasted red peppers, capers, smoked salmon, and the crowning touch, toasty hot polenta croutons. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg, WHMP. With Megan Zinn on our writer's block. And uh, Megan, what do you have this week for us? Well, my guest is poet Rebecca Hart Olander. And welcome, Rebecca. Thank you. Um, Rebecca Hart Olander is the editor and director of Perugia Press, a national press based in Florence that publishes first and second books of poetry by women. She also teaches writing at Westfield State University at Amherst College and works with poets in the Maslow Family Graduate Program in Creative Writing at Wilkes University. Her poetry and collaborative visual and written work has been published widely and in print and online, and her books include Dressing the Wounds and Uncertain Acrobats, 
Rebecca is a Women's National Book Association Poetry Award winner, and Uncertain Acrobats was named a must-read selection by the Massachusetts Center for the Book. Wonderful. Um, so I want to start by having you read a poem. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, all of you, for having me here today. Um, I'll be reading this poem from Uncertain Acrobats. It's my first full-length collection. It's for my father, who passed away in 2012. And I'm going to read the proem, which is like a pre-poem in the book. It's called Super Moon. When full and coinciding with its closest advance on Earth, light breaks into the living room, soaking the floor with moon. Bigger and brighter, this perigee, washing out the Perseids. My brother walks toward me on the deck of a summer party and trick of evening light, flick of what the heart wants, our father is there. We look, but we don't see. Then there's lunar apogee, the monthly swing away. They dangle our gone beloveds, near as moons. Some of those words like apogee, oh, wonderful. Um, so, Rebecca Hartolander, tell us a little about the kinds of poems you, you write in general. Do you lean toward a specific subject subject matter or themes? Yeah, I'm a pretty narrative poet, and I really write from my life. Um, I don't tend to write persona poems. Okay. Uh, I don't tend to write super abstract poems. Mm -hmm. um, I have a good friend and neighbor who came to a poetry reading that I gave at Luthier's Co-op, mm -hmm. and. He had never really liked poetry, and he said after the reading, I can understand your poetry. <laughs> so I, I mean, I sort of take pride in writing poems that um, are somewhat accessible and speak mm -hmm. to other people's experiences. Mm -hmm. They're out of mind, but I hope they're yeah. universal. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. When did you start writing poetry? Well, um, I actually have a really specific answer for that. I was seven mm -hmm. when I wrote my first poem. Um, my stepmother is actually a poet. Mm -hmm. um, she's a published poet, Christopher Jane Corkery. Okay. And um, she gave me a poetry exercise when, ah. when uh, she and my dad were first married. And I've been writing ever since then. I, I came out to this area to go to Hampshire College and okay. studied poetry then mm -hmm. and just been trucking along with it ever since. All right. I was good. Oh, Bill, I'd be interested to know how you managed to not allow school to interfere with, if not kill, your <laughs> uh, uh, blossoming love for yeah. poetry. I mean, I remember being in school and saying, we are now going to read John Macefield. I mean, I wanted to read Dylan Thomas mm -hmm. and E.E. E. Cummings, and they wanted me to read John Macefield, and there was a... Uh, disconnect. Yeah. And, and I mean, we used to write, read these old English poets and write next to the side of it, D-I-M, deep inner meaning. So, <laughs> you know, that we're supposed to get it somehow as opposed to things that really mattered. I'm wondering if you could tell us about your experience in that regard. Oh, thank you so much. I feel you so much on this um, front. And that's, that actually kind of speaks to why I'm a teacher mm -hmm. as well, just because I felt that when I was in high school too. I feel like high school kills poetry. And it's such a vital, fun, exciting, universal human thing. And we just don't teach it that way, or it has not traditionally mm -hmm. been taught that way. Um, so yeah, I, I really bucked against like deconstruction and like treating things like puzzles and there was one right answer and you felt stupid if you couldn't figure it out. So that, that really, I wanted to teach in a different way. Um, and I do think schools come a long way since mm -hmm. we were in school and it was taught that way. Um, I want to give a shout out to the Smith College um, Boutel Day Poetry Center. They have an amazing 
um, video series called The Poem I Wish I'd Read. Oh, and wow. it's contemporary poets doing really short videos on one poem and saying, if I had read this in high school, <laughs> either I would have loved poetry or I w it would have saved my life. Um, and it's just so, vi it shows how vital poetry is. So yeah, I had the same experience, but I, I just read Dylan Thomas and E.E. E. Cummings anyway, and Sylvia Plath anyway. Um, I just found the things I love. Lawrence Fernlinghetti, I remember, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, this is kind of a broad question. You can talk about it all day, but what what do you do differently than than I think that a lot of us experienced in our youth in teaching in teaching poetry? What kinds of things do you and um, contemporary instructors do to make it more vibrant for your students? Um, well, I mean, my favorite thing is to teach poetry. So mm -hmm. getting inside poems and writing them yourself is is great. Um, I use that video series in my classroom. Okay. Uh, reading poetry aloud. I mean, it's very, it's an embodied art mm -hmm. and it's, you know, meant to be an oral celebration and, mm -hmm. um, you know, not something that's dead on the page. Yeah. Um, and there's just so much good poetry out there. So it's, uh, I don't know, I think just showing my excitement for it and, and um, enthusiasm for it and, and bringing in a wide range of poets. Um, and I usually teach contemporary poets. Mm -hmm. But I bring in, you know, some like real old ones yeah. <laughs> and say like, look how vital this is right. still. Right. But I usually am like working with newer poets. I just want to point out, I got a, a quiz in ninth grade in <laughs> Atlanta and uh, the note from my instructor on Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was, you got stuck at Wadsworth. <laughs> you never made it beyond Wadsworth, is what he said. That is really funny. That is really And it funny. was true. <laughs> um, my guest is Rebecca Hart Olander. Um, and what do, you, what do you love about poetry, about reading it, writing it, um, um, and, um, yeah, reading it, writing it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can't do otherwise than to write poetry. Mm -hmm. It's how I see the world. Um, Beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm walking around and I'll see something and it just starts, uh, it's like, a, I don't know, seeing a metaphor, something next to something else that's surprising or something beautiful, mm -hmm. um, something painful. Like this, this book that I've written is about um, my relationship with my father, which mm -hmm. was not primarily painful. It's, it was steeped in love, but um, his dying and, and death and my grief afterwards. So a lot of times poetry is, is I wouldn't call it therapy, but it, it's um, a way that we wrestle with yeah. unanswerable questions mm -hmm. or the things that are um, sort of large and hard. And, and it, it is a balm. I don't know if it's therapy, but it, it's um, therapeutic. Yeah, yeah. That, makes, that makes sense. Um, so I want to ask you about Perugia Press. You are the editor and director. Um, tell us um, what Perugia Press does and what their um, mission is. Thank you. So um, we've been around since 1997. Um, I have not been around that long with the press. It was it was founded then by Susan Can, mm -hmm. and I've been running the press for seven years. Oh, okay. Uh, before that, I was involved seven years as a volunteer, and uh, we. Our, we have a very specific mission. We're a yeah. micro press. We mm. publish one book a year, and um, we're a national press. And that one book is written by a woman at the beginning of her publishing career. So mm -hmm. it's either her first or second book. Um, so our, our mission is writing gender inequity yes. <laughs> in our small way, one book at a time um, in publishing, and to help launch women's voices into the world. 
That's wonderful. I, I was looking at the website and noting I should have brought the, the numbers with me. The, um, the imbalance in, um, po in poetry publishing and awards and, and in terms of gender. And it's, it's extreme. Yeah. It's, um, in, in many ways, 80 to 20 or 90 to 10 percent. Yeah. And that's remained pretty consistent even since 1997 when Susan founded the press. Um, we had our first intern a few years ago, um, an Ada Comstock scholar from Smith College, Adri Rose, and she was so struck by, do, I had her do like an update of those statistics that mm -hmm. are on our website, and she was so struck by that that she went back with that still circling in her head to her um, final year at Smith, and she is now founding, founded a press at oh, Smith. Oh, wonderful. Oh. Yeah, it's a chapbook press called Nine Syllables, and there was a recent blog post that's up on our site about, about her sort of spark from Perugia, but, but really where she's going um, with that idea at Smith. So, Oh, how inspiring. Yeah, um, yeah it is. Yeah. So my guest is Rebecca Hart Olander, and we're talking a bit about Perugia Press, where she is the editor and director. What do, they ben what do the winners receive each year, the winner of... Um... The Perugia Press Prize. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the prize is um, primarily publication. It does come with a $1,000 prize and some author copies of the book. Um, we have... A poet liaison, who's one of our, our former, our, well, not former poets, but the former winner mm -hmm. of the prize. Um, so the press comes with a little bit of mentorship oh, nice. um, from that poet, if, if needed. Um, maybe if it's a poet's second book, she might already have her sea legs under her in terms of publishing. Um, and, and really, the, the press um, gives ongoing support. So that's one of mm -hmm. our mm -hmm. hallmarks that we do. Um, poetry has no expiration date. <laughs> we keep supporting our poets long after they've published, it's not a flash in the pan thing. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's evergreen. Yeah. And so uh, what is the website for Perugia per Press? Uh, it's Perugia dot, perugiapress.org. Exactly, so yes. P-E-R-U-G-I-A press.org. Thank okay, you. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with Rebecca Hart Olander, the editor and director of Perugia Press, and Megan Zinn, of course. We'll be right back. Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg coming up right here on WHMP. It's the all-new Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2. Brought to you by realtor Craig Delapena. Over 18 years experience selling valley homes within 10 blocks of rail trails near parks and other conservation areas or antique and historic houses. Contact Craig at NorthamptonRealtor.com slash innovator. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster only on WHMP. Hi, this is Linda DeGillis, Vice President and Trust Officer at Greenfield Savings Bank Wealth Management and Trust Services. Investing your money does not mean having to abandon your core values. Environmental and social governance investments, also called ESG investments, allow you to focus your money in businesses and industries that match your environmental and social values and avoid those which do not. Environmental and social governance investments let you put your money where your values are. ESG investments are just one example of how we create individually designed portfolio managers 
management plans for our clients. To learn more about ESG investing and our portfolio management services and for a free consultation, call us at 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section of our website at greenfieldsavings.com. Thank you. GSB Wealth Management and Trust Services, offering portfolio management, estate settlement, and trust administration services. Call 413-775-8335 or go to the wealth management section at greenfieldsavings.com. For some kids, home isn't a safe place. And in these times, access to trusted adults like teachers and counselors is limited. I'm Kara McElhone, Executive Director of the Children's Advocacy Center of Hampshire County. Our mission is to prevent and end child abuse in our community by providing safety, healing, and justice. The Children's Advocacy Center is open in providing resources to children and caregivers throughout Hampshire County. Please visit us online at cachampshire.org or call 413-570-5989. You're listening to Talk the Talk with Bill Newman and Buzz Eisenberg. WHMP. And we are back with Writer's Block with Megan Zinn and Rebecca Hart Olander of Perugia Press, and we are talking poetry. We're talking poetry. Um, and I did want to ask before I forget, who is the most current winner of um, the um, of the prize? Yeah, thank you. Um, her name is Carolina Hachandani, mm-hmm. and uh, she is in, it's going to be her first book. It's called The Book Eaters. It's coming out in September. Okay. And just, uh, just a beautiful book. Um, Carolina is a mother and a poet and um, the da- daughter of a Brazilian um, mother and uh, an Indian father. And so her book is about um, identity in mm-hmm. many ways, uh, yeah, partition with a capital P and um, becoming a mother and, and where your artis- artistic identity might uh, get lost in the shuffle there. Um, her father's dementia, so that sort of identity. Um, yeah, so I'm really excited about this yeah, book. Yeah. yeah. And um, what is the deadline for this year for people to contribute? Thank you. Yeah, we're open every year from August 1st until November 15th. So it's a pretty wide submission yeah. period, and you can find information all about that on our website. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so you know, we're talking about um, uh, Perugia Press and poetry, and we live in an area, uh, and we were talking before the break about how few women are um, published um, still, and how few um, of the great writing prizes go to women still. Um, and I know that we live in an area with um, amazing writers and amazing women writers and women identified writers. Um, can you talk about a few of those and, and and do they have connections with Perugia as well? Sure, yeah. I mean, the very first poet we published was Gail Thomas, and she's gone on to publish uh, six or so books after that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's what we really hope for, is that our poets at, are at the beginning of their careers, but um, a book with us will help to lead them to um, greater publication and greater visibility. Um, so Gail is amazing. Um, uh, some poets on our board, Amy Driansky, mm-hmm. um, who was a poet laureate of Northampton. Um, uh, Karen Schofield, who I think you had oh, on yeah. recently, uh, is a reader for us. Uh, I love her work. Um, one of our, another of our board members, Sharon Tracy, an Amherst poet, just wrote a, a really beautiful book called Chroma, which is um, ekphrastic poems, which are poems in response to visual art, and they're um, all responding to women artists from over the centuries. Um, so, lot, I mean, it's, it's yeah. endless. Uh, Chantilly, well. another board member of ours, um, a Vermont poet, but uh, does a lot of work here. So, yeah, yeah I, there's not enough time to say <laughs> all, 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 all of the amazing poet. women poets, and our press is national, but there are many based here. What are, where are places in the Valley where you can um, buy poetry 
um, that have with the bookstores that do really do have a good selection of um, some of our local poets um, and also where we can get your books. Oh, thank you. Um, well, 100% uh, broadside books, mm-hmm. of course. Um, Book Moon in East Hampton. Um, the thing about uh, this, the pandemic, one thing that happened is bookshop.org. If people uh, don't know about that, it's sort of the indie bookstore alternative to Amazon. Yes. Um, so you can look there. We have a web uh, bookshop on our website. Um, you can get my book uh, at Cavan Carey Press, which is where it was published, or on my website, RebeccaHartOlander.com. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, you know, I'll send you a signed copy if you do it that way. Oh, how lovely. <laughs> um, and so we've been talking with Rebecca Hart Olander, um, who is a poet and a teacher of poetry and the director, editor of Perugia Press, which um, and you can find out more about Perugia at perugiapress.org. In the short amount of time we have back, left, Rebecca, where does the word Perugia come from? What does it mean? <laughs> it's a good question. So the founding director is Susan Can, and her family had a familial connection there. So... It, it's not really uh, steeped in women or poetry in particular. It's steeped in chocolate. It was the, the ah. Italian city, Perugia. <laughs> there you go. So, That's poetry. Yeah. Chocolate it's, poetry. it's a place I have yet to be, uh, to go, but I, I hope to get there someday. Yeah. It's a beautiful word. It's very poetic. So I Oh, very yeah. poetic. Perugia. I love the way it sounds. Perugia Press. Yeah. Well, I'm really pleased to learn more about Perugia Press. And Thank you. please check out their website and remember to apply if you think that uh, you have something you would like to submit. And once again, what is the website? PerugiaPress.org. And what you. are the dates for application? August 1st to November 15th. And these are submissions, collection of poems yes, by a- un- previously unpublished women poets previously unpublished in a collection, in a chapbook or otherwise? It's either, um, you can be published in a chapbook. Um, a woman may have one full-length collection, so it needs to be either her first or second full-length collection. Megan yeah. Zinn, thank you so much. You always bring us such wonderful and interesting thank you. people. Thank pleasure. And thank you for joining us on Talk to Talk. And remember, like all of our guests, walk the walk. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. You're hiding something sweet. Grow Food Northampton helps you make the local food system better. This is Michael Skillcorn, Director of Programs. You can join us by shopping at Northampton Tuesday Market, getting a plot at our community garden in Florence, buying a farm share at Crimson and Clover or Sawmill Herb Farm. You can volunteer with us in our giving garden or participate in our neighborhood markets that bring the local food movement to underserved communities in Northampton. Get involved and support our work at growfoodnorthampton.com. Y hablamos español. Northampton Neighbors is free of charge and open to all with a range of social and volunteer opportunities as well as services and support for members 55 and older in the city of Northampton. Need help? Want to help? Join us as a member, a volunteer, or donor. Northampton Neighbors is about more than aging in place. We're about engaging in place, this place. Find WHMP us online at Northampton and WRSI HD2, Turner's Falls, WHMP.com, a Northampton Radio Group station. It's a 